a thousand generations of Jedi Knights and the Guardians of Peace, Justice, Welcome back to A People's History of the Old Republic, episode 7.3, The Past is Prologues. Last time, we discussed the 11-year-long Cold War brought about by the Treaty of Coruscant, which ended the Great Galactic War. This time, we introduce the eight class characters and talk a, and talk a bit of meta about SWOTOR. I'm Luke, that's Kelsey, and there's always a bit of truth in Legends. Star Wars... The Old Republic Part 3, Prologues. This is from 3643 to 3642 BBY. When we left off, the galaxy was once again poised for war. After some initial issues in 3653, the Treaty of Coruscant and the Cold War would more or less hold the peace for a decade, but it could never ensure permanent peace. In 3643, a series of 10 major events occurred, and their combined effects fatally undermined the peace. As you'll notice, we will cover a few of these major events again this time. Except for Plan Zero and the Desolator Crisis, which were the last events to conclude, we don't know the exact order of these events, and it is likely that they occurred simultaneously, at least in part. Then... We left off in early 3642, just days before the outbreak of the Galactic War, which is where we will start next time because we have to do the game's meta-analysis and character profiles for all eight class characters. We are abandoning the timeline narrative for this episode because their separate class storylines form part of the game's story. Since SWOTOR's main story is a cobbled-together timeline of the events from all eight class storylines and other in-game stories unfolding contemporaneously, we need to introduce the class characters separately. So, this episode will cover each of the A-class storylines from the prologues, which begin in early 3643, the day before the outbreak of the Galactic War in early 3642. That means we'll cover the same time period eight separate times during this episode. It's sort of a Star Wars version of Groundhog Day. If we do our job, it'll, this episode will serve as sufficient background when we restart the narrative timeline next time and attempt to cobble all of this together into something approaching a coherent narrative. Apologies if this is confusing, but covering a one-year period eight times in one episode is the easy way. The hard way means describing the timeline from 3681 to 3630 and then doubling back eight times to tell what happened with each of the eight class characters between 3640. 43 and 3630, and we couldn't very well introduce them in the initial episodes because we had more than 300 years to cover just to get to the point where their stories began, and they were all born after the Great Galactic War began. The Swotor meta. As we've said, we can't go into the kind of detail for Swotor that we used uh, on the KOTOR games because the sun would burn out before we actually finished. At release in 2011, Sotor's main story consisted of the prologues, chapters 1 through 3, and an epilogue to chapter 3. Later, five expansions con continued the main story, adding new factions and additional conflicts after the end of the Galactic War. The game also released dozens of content updates that included new story material, with one coming as recently as February 2020. 
In-universe, the prologues begin in early 3643 during the Cold War and introduce the player characters. The eight separate prologues all feed into the main story, which is a combination of the missions and quests from the class character stories and the other events occurring in the galaxy. Chapters 1 through 3 and the prologue last from 3642 to 3641 and center around the hunt for the Sith Emperor, finishing up the class character stories and Darth Malgus's short-lived Splinter Empire. The first, the first story expansion, Chapter 4, The Rise of the Hut Cartel, takes place in 3639 and introduces the Huts as a new threat. The expansion also includes an interlude about the Dread Wars, a sub-conflict within the larger Galactic War. Sotor's second story expansion, Chapter 5, Shadow of Revan, occurs in 3638, focusing on the final death of Revan in a short mission for each class character to wrap up their individual stories. After Chapter 5, the expansions stop using chapter designations and the class storylines ended, though the main story obviously continued. The third story expansion, Knights of the Fallen Empire, covers the end of the Galactic War from 3637 to 3636, the rise of the Eternal Empire, and the formation of the Alliance in 3632. The fourth expansion, Knights of the Eternal Throne, spans 3631 to 3630, focusing on the Alliance revolt against the Eternal Empire and the brief Order of Zildrog conflict. Finally, the fifth expansion, Onslaught, tells the events of the Third Galactic War between the Jedi and Sith in late 3630. Thus, the game's main story creates creates a direct through line for the player's chosen class character running from 3643 to 3630. Before we get to the class characters, we should go into a little more detail about how they operated within the game and the canonical player narratives. Much like the KOTOR games, the player chooses a class and customizes the character as desired. However, the other class characters who are not chosen by the player still exist in the universe with the player. For example, if the player chooses the Republic Trooper, default versions of the other seven classes play out default versions of their class stories alongside the player's customized actions as the trooper. This means that the player character plays out both their class story and stands in as the main protagonist in the main story for chapters 1-3, through and then later in the five expansions as well. In our Republic Trooper example, the trooper would stand in as the main protagonist, then hunt down and kill the Sith Emperor with their companions. Players can complete side missions, raids, and faction quests for either the Empire or Republic, depending on the class. Main storyline is then continued in the first two story expansions, Rise of the Hut Cartel and Shadow of Revan. To make things more confusing, the Rise of the Hut Cartel doesn't add new class-specific missions. The player just completes the expansion's main story continuation. But Shadow of Revan does include short, class-specific missions for each class character, attempting to wrap them up. In Shadow of Revan, the player character assumes the title of the Commander, retaining that role through the end of Onslaught. So here's how the story would go in our Republic Trooper example. The player would begin in the Trooper story in 3643 with the prologues, taking the callsign Meteor along the way, and continue as Meteor through 3639, through the rise of the Hut Cartel. Then, in Shadow of Revan, Meteor would complete their final short class-specific mission before taking on the title of Commander in 3638, which they would keep until the end of the expansions in 3630. 
Bioware clearly wasn't worried about telling a story that could be easily narrated. To make matters worse, we don't even know which character canonically completes these story expansions after Chapter 3 ends. On the whole, Swotor has very little concrete canonical info. Um, that information is usually supplied in reference books and comics, and uh, that information is usually supplied in reference books and comics and novels to a lesser extent. But only one reference book was ever released for the game, 2012's The Old Republic Encyclopedia. That book contains general descriptions and a depiction of each class character, but SWOTOR lead writer Hall Hood said those images are not canonical. Hood separately said he believed that the canonical versions of each character should be whatever choices the player makes, so we'll stick with that. The only big canonical detail we know about Swotor's story is that the Jedi Knight class, later known as the Hero of Tython, canonically completes the events of chapters 1 through 3, in addition to their class storyline. We know this based on Scourge's dialogue in the Revan novel and his in-game comments, but that's where our canonical playthrough info ends. We don't know any biographical info about the hero, like their species, gender, or real name. We also don't know which character canonically com completes the events of the five story expansions, but we'll discuss that when we get there. We know a couple of the we, we know a couple of other scattered canonical details for some class characters, and we will use those where available, but for the most part, we will refer to them either by their title or class and leave their attributes for you to imagine. The eight the eight classes can each be fully customized, including species, gender, face, body type, and other aesthetics. Each class has unique romance options and a unique nickname or title used during the story. As we will see, the romance options are sometimes a bit problematic and some of the nicknames are downright bad. Although the titles or nicknames are given to the characters at different times in their stories, we will mostly use them throughout because it's just easier that way. Finally, we know we're taking a high-level view of Sotor and especially the class characters, which means we're going to miss some stuff. So, if we miss something from the game that you enjoyed, please email or DM the show. If we have enough, we can cover them at the end of the series. As always, input is appreciated. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Character Profile Cypher 9, the Imperial Agent Class We'll start with the most unique of all the A-classes, at least in the Star Wars universe. Whereas the other seven classes each resemble an archetypal character from the movies, the Imperial Agent does not. Or at least it didn't when the game was released in 2011. Nowadays, Cassian Ander from, from 2016's Rogue One would be a great example of the Imperial Agent archetype, despite obviously not being an Imperial. But, you know, you get the idea. The Imperial Agent can be upgraded into a sniper or stealth expert and serves as the Sith's long-range covert counterpart to the Republic's smuggler class. Like all the classes, the player was originally only able to select from a handful of species, but that has since been altered. Now, any unlockable species can be used for any class. These include Human, Cyborg, Togruta, Cathar, Sith Pureblood, Ratataki, Twi'lek, Zabrak, Miraluka, Chiss, and Miralian, like all the other characters. Cypher 9 
gets a personal StarCraft for their cannibals and works with five companions. A rather tacky criminal named Kalio Janus, a Kilik joiner named Vector Hylas, Reina Temple, a Force-sensitive Sith operative, a doctor named Eckhard Loken, and a droid named Scorpio. Some of the game's companions, like Scorpio, are extremely important outside the class character's story, resurfacing time and again. Surprising absolutely no one, the Imperial agent's background is classified, meaning we know nothing about them before their first Imperial intelligence mission to Nal Hutta in 3643. The agent worked to defend Hut crime lord friendly to the Sith from the attacks of a rival Hut aligned with the Republic. Yet another minor proxy battle, proxy battle going on between the two superpowers toward the end of the Cold War. The agent did such a good job that they gained the notice of Darth Jadis, overseer of Imperial Intelligence on the Dark Council. Jadis ordered the agent back to the Sith capital of Dromund Kos, and after the agent proved themselves through a few missions, Jadis promoted them to Cypher Agent, the highest echelon of operatives within the Imperial Intelligence apparatus. The Imperial agent was officially given the designation Cypher 9 and began working under their handlers, Watcher 2 and Keeper. As we said, these nicknames, there are a lot of these nicknames and they just keep coming, so get ready. Shortly thereafter, Cypher 9 was assigned to hunt down a terrorist working in Imperial space known as the Eagle, who had just bombed Darth Jadis' flagship, killing the Sith Lord and thousands of other Imperials. The Eagle was a former Imperial fighter pilot who grew disillusioned with the Sith following the Treaty of Coruscant. Prior to setting out on the mission, Cypher 9 was tested by Darth Zorid, Jadis' daughter and successor to the Darth Council on Korriban. From there, the Imperial agent went to Balmora and killed one of the Eagle's allies who was aiding the local planetary resistance to Sith occupation and then traveled to Nar there, Cypher 9 destroyed a stimulant production factory used by the Eagle and attempted to interrogate the last person to see Darth Jadis alive, but the informant was killed in a struggle. This earned the ire of Zorid, who slapped Cypher 9 across the face for failing to bring the informant in alive. Cypher 9 and their companions continued on the mission as the Eagle had come into possession of superweapon satellites called Eradicators, capable of destroying cities with a precision shot. With these pre presumably aimed at Imperial targets, Cypher 9's investigation went into overdrive. They went to Alderaan and worked with members of House Thule, aiding them during the Civil War and eliminating more of the Eagle's support network. After disrupting much of the Eagle's plans, Watcher 2 deciphered the location of the Eagle's secret hideout on Nalhutta, uncreatively known as the Eagle's Nest. With this knowledge, Cypher 9 and his companions launched a final assault on the Eagle's Nest, defeating the former Imperial war hero in a heated blaster duel. However, the Eagle only had half the code to shut down the Eradicators. The other half was held by the Eagle's contact within the Sith Empire, the, very, the still very much alive Darth Jadis. 
After being tracked down by Cypher 9, Jadis revealed that he he had faked his death to launch a secret campaign to purge the Sith Empire of corrupt leaders. Jadis offered the Imperial agent the top post in their new intelligence bureau, but was rebuffed. In late 3643, Cypher 9 infiltrated Jadis' flagship and fought to the bridge, engaging the Sith Lord. In order to fight him, Nine had to briefly activate the Eradicators, killing thousands of people on Sith-aligned worlds. Jadis and Cypher 9 fought while Watcher 2 called in reinforcements to the ship, including three Dark Counselors. Cypher 9 held their own against Jadis before locking the Sith Lord in a ray shield, allowing reinforcements to arrive. The Eradicators were shut down, Jadis was foiled, and the hunt for the Eagle was over. Cypher 9's efforts led to a complete shakeup of the Imperial Intelligence Ministry, with Keeper becoming the new minister and Watcher 2 becoming the new Keeper. Later, Cypher 9 was sent on a mission to infiltrate Star Cabal, a secret association formed in the wake of the Great Hyperspace War, with the purpose of eliminating the Jedi and Sith entirely. In early 3642, Cypher 9 tracked a member of Star Cabal to Isen 4, where the group committed atrocities against civilians in the guise of Sith, hoping to restart the war with the Republic. Though the Sith tried to suppress news of Isen 4, the Republic was informed that it will become one of the reasons for the outbreak of the Galactic War. Cypher 9 will continue to hunt Star Cabal during the Galactic War, as we will see next episode. A male Imperial agent can romance Kaleo Janus or Reina Temple, while a female Imperial agent can romance Vector Hylas. The Imperial agent storyline was written by Alexander Freed. The male Imperial agent was voiced by Bertie Carvel, while the female Imperial agent was voiced by Joe Wyatt. Character Profile Voidhound a.k.a. Ace, uh, the Republic Smuggler class. The Republic Smuggler class acts as the long-range and covert ops counterpart to the Imperial agent. The class is based on Han Solo, both in action and personality type. The smuggler's reply options are snarkier and more flirtatious, but they are also loyal to the cause of the Republic, even if their methods are sometimes questionable. You know, the rogue with a heart of gold. Uh, whereas many of the class character storylines are connected to the larger events of the galaxy, the smuggler story involves the race to find a fate, the fabled treasure of Nock Drayan. Along for the adventure are five companions, a female Zabrak Mandalorian called Akavi Spar, Langus Tuno, a, a Moncal smuggler, a Wookiee former slave called Bodar, a mercenary named Corso Riggs, and Risha Drayan, another smuggler and petty criminal. Each class also gets a ship, gets a ship maintenance droid that all seem to be different, frumpier versions of 3PO. Risha also happens to be the daughter of Nock Drayan, so it's time to add another bad father to the impressively long list of shitty Star Wars dads. The smuggler story begins in 3643 on Ord Mantell, near the end of the Separatist War that we discussed in episode 7.2. 
It was one of the 10 big events of 3643 that will lead to the demise of the Treaty of Coruscant and the resumption of war. However, the smuggler wasn't involved in the conflict on Orm Mantell. In fact, they were trying to escape the planet before getting dragged into it. The smuggler's personal ship waited in a hangar, but was grounded due to separatists seizing anti-aircraft guns in the area. Working with Two others, named Skavik and Corsa Riggs, the future Voidhound disabled the anti-aircraft guns, but was double-crossed by Skavik, who was working with the Separatists and stole the smuggler's ship. Skavik also shot Riggs and stole his precious gun, named Torchy. The smuggler, who also went by who also went by Ace, worked with a local worked with a local to find the separatist base and steal back the ship. But Skavik escaped for Coruscant first. The smugglers pursued using a stolen ship, setting off a chain of events across the Republic capital. While chasing Skavik all over Coruscant. The smuggler came into contact with Risha Drayan and, after Skavik escaped, agreed to work with Risha to seek out the treasure of Nock Drayan. Risha kept her last name and relationship to Nock for a secret for the time being and brought a human encased in carbonite along for the adventure. Of course, finding the treasure starts with a series of fetch quests, taking the smuggler to Terrace, Nar Shaddaa, Alderaan, Tatooine, and more. Most of these locations involve finding a former confidant or enemy of Noc Dryan for additional clues to finding the treasure. However, the adventure on Alderaan involves an old friend of ours, the severed, preserved head of Darth Bandon. You no doubt recall that Darth Bandon was Darth Malak's Sith apprentice who was killed by Revan on Manan. If you've forgotten, you can find out more in episode 5.7. Anyway, the smuggler came into contact with the preserved head because Risha Dryan used to trade to an Alderanian museum for a prototype Arcanian hyperdrive capable of reaching the treasure. However, that friend Skavik was a step ahead and traded a fraudulent Darth Bandon head for the hyperdrive first. Yes, there's a fake Bandon head floating around. After chasing Skavik, the Void Head retrieved the hyperdrive and gave the real preserved head to the Alderanian Museum. By early 3642, the smugglers group had gathered all the items needed to outfit their ship to reach the treasure. Risha also used this time to reveal herself as Noctrian's daughter, and the group went to Narshada to find him. There, the man Risha had in Carbonite was revealed to be Noctrian, who was subsequently unfrozen and a brief father-daughter reunion ensued. Nock had been infected with an incurable virus by one of his rivals years before and froze himself until a cure could be found. The smuggler went to the treasure's location and fought through waves of battle droids to find a single lockbox. Smuggler returned with the lockbox, but Nock only had minutes left. Risha opened the box to find the priceless crown of Dubrillion, an outer rim world, where Nock Dryan was the rightful heir. During the trip, Voidhound discovered Skavik had stowed away, and the two dueled, which ended with the death of Skavik. Back on Nar Shaddaa, Noctrayan urged Risha to take the crown, kill the smuggler, and take her rightful place on the throne by hook or by crook. However, during her travels with Voidhound, Risha had learned a great deal about living honorably, even in a dishonorable universe. 
Instead, the younger Drayan vowed to take back the throne of Debrillion without resorting to things like killing her companions in cold blood or mass slaughter of Debrillion's civilians. Hey, that rhymes. At this, Nocturne cursed his daughter as a failure and died shortly thereafter. He goes down as another in a long list of shitty Star Wars dads. The smuggler and their companions departed Nashada for other adventures, but the Galactic War would, would begin soon, delaying any plans for rest and relaxation. As we said, the smuggler's class story is largely disconnected from the events unfolding in the wider galaxy, though they were loyal to the Republic. During the adventure, a female smuggler can romance Corsa Riggs, while a male smuggler can romance either Risha Drayan or a Cavi Spar. The smuggler storyline was written by Hal Hood and Jennifer Helper. A male smuggler is voiced by Maury Sterling, while a female smuggler is voiced by Kath Susie. Character profile. Darth Knox, a.k.a. Lord Colleague, the Sith Inquisitor class. Our third class is also the first of the game's four four-season classes that we will cover. Sith Inquisitor is also the only class in the game that can end up with a different title depending on their actions. Darth Nox is given if the player becomes a master of the dark side. Darth Oculus if the, is given if the player is more neutral. And Darth Imperius if the, is given if the player makes empire-friendly choices. Unlike most class characters, the Sith Inquisitor won't officially be given the title Darth Nox until the next episode, though we will use it during this character profile. The Sith Inquisitor is given a personal Fury-class starship to use on their travels and gains five companions. Lieutenant Talos Drellic, a pirate named Andronicos Revel, Kem Val, a Force-sensitive Dashed, an ex-Jedi Padawan named Ashara Zavros, and a Kalish Sith Lord named Zalek. The Inquisitor, like their counterpart the Jedi Consular, focuses more on masterful control of Force powers than skill with a lightsaber. They are like the Emperor in the original trilogy, a space wizard who has little to no use for the lightsaber. The character's two prestige classes change this up somewhat, allowing for a slightly greater focus on lightsabers and stealth, or a full-on sorcerer build. Little is known of the Sith Inquisitor before 3643, except that they were enslaved by the Sith Empire. Despite the well-known Sith disdain for non-humans and slaves, the necessities of war meant they had to add new recruits however they could, which included training Force-sensitive slaves, regardless of species. The Sith Inquisitor's Force-sensitivity was discovered, and they were sent to train on Korriban, where they also received a heavy dose of discrimination based on their class and possibly species. Upon arrival on Korriban, the Inquisitor was tested in the tombs of the Valley of the Dark Lords, showing an affinity for the use of Force Lightning. The Inquisitor was sent on increasingly dangerous missions before completing their trials by freeing Tulak Ord's fabled shadow assassin, Cam Val, a Dashan who had been stuck in stasis for more than a hundred years. Val swore a life debt to the Inquisitor, and they were apprenticed to the Dark Counselor, Lord Zash. To train under Zash, the future Darth Nox was brought to the Imperial capital, Dromenkos. There, the Inquisitor encountered and was threatened by Darth Scotia, a cyborg who was Zash's boss and her rival. Later, Zash informed the young Inquisitor that their goal was to assassinate Scotia, 
I guess, by attacking his cybernetics as a weak point. Using an advanced weapon, the Inquisitor was able to shut off most of most of Scotia's body and slay him in a duel. The death of Scotia earned Zas the Darth title and raised her to the Dark Council. With Scotia out of the way, Zas initiated her plan to enter the inner sanctum of the Dark Temple and use the collected, relic, collected relics of the ancient Sith Lord Tulak Horde to transfer her essence to a new body. Despite looking like a young woman, Zas is actually a withered old woman who uses a glamour to appear youthful and beautiful. Of course, she planned to use the Sith Inquisitor's body as her new vessel, but tricked them into gathering the relics of Tulak Horde. To fetch the items, the young Inquisitor and their companions travel to war worlds that every class character visits, Nar Shaddaa, Tatooine, and Alderaan, as well as Balmora. However, during their adventure, the Inquisitor learned of their ancient Darthside lineage as the last heir of a long-dead Sith Lord named Aloysius Kalig. Many years before 5600 BBY, Aloysius was a general under Tulak Horde who was assassinated after becoming too popular. Kalig was interred on Droman Kos, where his helmet kept his spirit tethered to the physical realm. Years later, when the true Sith began settling Droman Kos, the Dark Temple was built above Kalig's tomb, and the restless spirit eventually haunted the temple, possessing those who entered. The young Sith Inquisitor learned all of this from Kalig's spirit, who warned of Zash's treacherous ways. After the Inquisitor gathered all five of Tulak Horde's artifacts and Aloysius Kalig's lightsaber, he returned to Dromenkos for the ritual with Zash. During the ritual, Zash revealed her true visage to the Sith Inquisitor and sought to permanently take their body, but the act was interrupted by Kim Val, who, in who inadvertently became Zash's new host body. Zas's physical body died on Dromenkos in late 3643, but her spirit lived on in Kim Val. Though Zash inhabited Kim, Kim Val's body, the two constantly battled for dominance of the body and would for many years. For the act of killing their master, the Inquisitor was given the title of Lord Kalig, taking up the name of their ancestors. Lord Kalig also received Zash's former followers, but also inherited her rivalry with Darth Thanaton, who is far too powerful to be defeated alone. In order to gain enough power, the spirit of Aloysius Kalik taught his ancestor the rare force ability known as Force Walk, which allowed a Sith to bind Force Ghosts to them and increase their power. In what can only be described as a ripoff of Avatar The Last Airbender, Lord Kalik gathered the Force Ghosts of older Sith and confronted Thanaton. However, the strain of using the ghosts was too much, and Thanaton cursed Darth Nox with a Sith ritual, causing the young Inquisitor to retreat just before the Galactic War began. During the journey, a female Sith Inquisitor can romance Adronicos Revel, while a male Inquisitor can romance Ashara Zavros. The Sith Inquisitor's story was written by Rebecca Harwick, Zan Salbrick did voice work for the female Inquisitor, and Yun Morton provided the male Inquisitor's voice. Character profile, the Barsenthor, the Jedi Consular class. 
The Jedi Consular class is the only class character for whom we have a canonical gender, as the Barsenthor is review is referred to as a male in the in the 2015 Star Wars tabletop RPG rulebook Forces and Destiny. Even though it was released in 2015, after Disney moved the old EU to the Legends continuity, the book is still considered part of Legends. Force and Destiny also retcons the Barsenthor to be the unidentified Jedi in the Tomb of the Unknown Jedi on Chandrilla that appears in the 2003 video game Jedi Knight Jedi Academy. Unlike the Jedi Knight class, the Consular uses the focuses on the use of force powers to defuse situations and defend themselves. Much like the Inquisitor, the Jedi Consular prestige classes focus on stealth or ranged force powers. During his adventure, the Barsenthor gets five companions, a Trandoshan game hunter named Quizen Fess, a doctor and slicer named Theron Sedrax, a Republic Lieutenant Felix Ereso, a Twi'lek freedom fighter known as Zenith, and a Sarkai Jedi Padawan named Nadia Gorel. Like most Jedi, the Consular's Force sensitivity was discovered at a young age, and he was sent to train in the ways of the Force. Considered preternaturally wise and strong in the Force, the Barsenthor learned quickly and, in 3643, was sent to complete his training on Tython under famed Jedi Master and Scholar Yuan Parr. The Jedi Consular was tasked with investigating the Flesh Raider uprisings that were terrorizing Tython, but became embroiled in another crisis affecting the Order. A corrupted Force-sensitive Twi'lek was attempting to destroy the ancient forge where Jedi on Tython built their lightsabers. The Consular was able to foil the plot, redeeming the Twi'lek in the process, and also discovered the lost fount of Rajivari. For these actions, the Consular was promoted to the rank of Jedi Knight, but was immediately called upon to find a cure for a new virus affecting Jedi known as the Dark Plague. Years before the Dark Plague, years before the Dark Plague was developed by the Sith Lord Tarek Morhaj, and used to corrupt the minds of Jedi Master too strong for mind tricks, Morhaj died. But in thirty six forty three, his body possessed a Jedi Padawan named Parkanus Tark, who turned to the dark side and took the title Lord Vivacar. The Dark Plague was then unleashed on unsuspecting Jedi. The Consular traveled to Coruscant to begin his investigation and chased down three special holocrons known as the Noeticons, which contained all the knowledge of the Jedi archives. The Noeticons each had multiple gatekeepers instead of one, like a normal holocron, and allow us to see some of the greatest Jedi masters we've covered so far. Old friends like Arka Jeth and Nomi Sunrider from Tales of the Jedi and Vendar, Tokar and Bastila Shan from KOTOR are there, as along with other Jedi Masters. After finding all three and inadvertently being locked in a fate, no, Noeticon, the Consular learned a shielding technique to protect from the Dark Plague. Consular used this newfound knowledge to shield his master, Yuan Par. Unfortunately, the Dark Plague had spread to other Jedi Masters, so the Consular visited each in turn. On Terrace, the Consular chased down and battled the 
Kalis master, Sin Taikan, who was attempting to stop the Republic reclamation efforts in his madness. The Barsenthor defeated and cured Master Taikan, allowing the Terrace Resettlement Initiative to continue running for the time being. On Narshada, the Consular and his companions infiltrated the Guiding Hand, a gang loyal to Jedi Master Duras Fane, who was afflicted with the Dark Plague. Fane revealed that the Dark Plague was affecting all six Jedi who went on a mission to Malachor III, yes, a planet in the same system as that Malachor, where... Tarek Morage had been killed. Jedi Masters Juan Par, Sin Taikan, Duras Fane, Sidoni Garin, and Erez Vosan, and Padawan Parkhanas Tark traveled to Malachor III and killed Morage. However, for unknown reasons, Padawan Tark was left behind by the other five Jedi, and Morage's spirit tortured and possessed the young Jedi. The Consular was able to cure Fane and departed to find the other two afflicted masters but received a distress call from a ship carrying Jedi Knight Lorana Fane. Lorana Fane, the daughter of Doros Fane, was infected by the Dark Plague and started killing crew members. The Consular defeated Fane and then cured her with the shielding technique before heading off to Tatooine to confront Master Erez Vosan. After becoming infected, Master Vosan had created an army of Tusken Raiders who followed him into battle. Again, the Barsenthor defeated a Jedi Master and cured him of the Dark Plague, causing the army of Tuscans to disperse. Consular, the Consular also learned that Vivicar didn't have full control of, of the Dark Plague, which is why the infection was only limited to six Jedi. Finally, in late 3643, the Jedi Consular went to Alderaan and was instrumental in keeping peace negotiations going. As we alluded to in the last episode, Jedi Master Sidioni Garin was presiding over the peace talks to end the Alderaanian Civil War when she was infected. Garin began sabotaging her own peace talks and nearly opened up even greater hostilities before being cured by the Consular. With all six Jedi cured, the only task remaining was to confront Lord Vivicar. In early 3642, the Consular traveled to Vivicar's ship in the Outer Rim to end the Dark Plague's threat. However, the, the Consular was careful not to kill Vivicar, as it would have killed the six Jedi he had infected. The Consular was able to defeat Vivicar and then use the shielding technique to exercise Tarek Morhaj's spirit from Padawan Tark's body and save the young Jedi's life. For his actions in saving seven Jedi and stopping the Dark Plague, the Consular was granted the title of Barsenthor, becoming only the third in the Order's illustrious history. Days later, the Galactic War began, and the Barsenthor and his companions were called upon to stabilize relations with the powerful Rift Alliance. We will catch up with that next episode. During that, during their adventures, a male consular can romance Nadia Grell, which seems wildly inappropriate given that Grell is his Padawan, but we digress. A female consular can have a much less problematic romance with Lieutenant Felix Ereso. The Jedi Consular story was written by Joanna Berry with Nolan North voicing the male Consular and Athena Carcanus as the voice of the female Consular. Character profile. Hunter, a.k.a. Scree, 
the Imperial Bounty Hunter class. The Bounty Hunter represents a perfect class for everyone who saw Return of the Jedi as a kid and, despite all evidence to the contrary, said, Boba Fett is a badass. The Bounty Hunter is the long-range tank class of the Sith Empire, specializing in either heavy armor or overwhelming firepower in its two prestige classes. The Bounty Hunter class also gets the most diverse set of companions, a human slicer named Mako, a Deveranian with one broken horn named Galt Reno, a human Mandalorian called Torian Kadera, a Hauk warrior named Skadge, and a tiny Jawa Tequiz named Blizz. The Bounty Hunter class earns the completely unhelpful nickname, Hunter, during their time, but was also given the codename Scree early in their adventures. Very little is known of the Bounty Hunter before they enter the third and final Mandalorian Great Hunt. In early 3643, Bounty Hunter arrived on Nar Shaddaa and became the protege of Brayden, the Bounty Hunter we met last episode who was freed by Darnala and killed Jedi Master Zim in 3653. Brayden taught the young Bounty Hunter some new tricks and became a sort of surrogate father, using his connections to get the Bounty Hunter a chance to become the final entrant in the Great Hunt. The only way to gain entry was to either be a Mandalorian or have a sponsor from the world of organized crime. With the Great Hunt starting in mere days, there was no time to go through the Mandalorian initiation process, so Brayden contacted a hut who agreed to sponsor the Hunter. However, the Hunter would need to travel to Dromancos, complete three bounties in order, and win a melee to officially secure the last spot. Essentially, it's a play-in round to move on to the larger tourney. Before departing the Smuggler's Moon, Hunter gained a rival named Taro Blood after he had Brayden killed. Hunter vowed revenge and departed for Dromancos to gain entry to the Great Hunt and find Taro Blood. On Dromancos, the Hunter met their Mandalorian handler, Krista Markon, and successfully completed the three bounties she assigned before defeating five other bounty hunters in a melee. This earned the Hunter the 32nd and final spot in the Great Hunt. The premise of the tournament was simple. 32 contestants from diverse backgrounds were matched against one another and sent after the same bounty, bounty target. Bounty hunters could only attack or kill one another if they were after the same quarry. Any other violence against participants would be met with a kill-on-sight bounty being issued. For this reason, Scree and their companions couldn't attack Blood directly once the Great Hunt began, though Blood tried to flout the rules several times. The Great Hunt took the Bounty Hunter all over the galaxy, including Balmora, Narshada, Tatooine, and Alderaan, which is starting to become something of a pattern. Don't worry, we'll get some planetary diversity during the Galactic War. The Hunter's targets included private security consultants, troublesome Imperials, and a Republic-aligned industrialist on Alderaan. So while the Bounty Hunter's class story is mostly disconnected from the larger events affecting the galaxy, they are involved in two of the ten major events of 3643. Obviously, the Hunter takes part in the Great Hunt, and the assassination of the industrialists on Alderaan hampered Republic efforts to quickly end the Alderaanian Civil War. The Hunter won their first four matches of the Great Hunt before facing off against their arch-rival Taro Blood in the finals. 
the last bounty was on the head of Jedi Master Killian Jaro, which honestly just sounds like Kilimanjaro when you think about it. In late 3643, the Hunter and their companions infiltrated the Jedi Master ship and fought through battle droids and guards before finding tarot blood locked away in the ship's brig. Blood begged to be freed so the two enemies could settle, settle their old score, but the hunter wouldn't be goaded and left blood to rot in prison, just like Brayden would have wanted. On the bridge, the bounty hunter was able to isolate Jedi Master Jaro, killing him after the Jedi attempted and failed a mind trick. Jaro's Padawan, Thindus Nori, had been incapacitated and begged for death, which the bounty hunter quickly granted. The ship was set to self-destruct, and Hunter escaped with their count with their companions just as it exploded, killing Taro Blood and ending the Great Hunt. Back on Droman Kassin, early 3642, the Hunter was acclaimed as the champion of the Great Hunt and laden with treasure and other accolades. The champions of the Great Hunt were also given access to the Blacklist, which contained the biggest bounties on highest-profile targets. Hunter was also officially made a Mandalorian for winning the tournament and upholding their ideals. A few days later, the Republic and Sith resumed hostilities and the Galactic War began. A male bounty hunter can romance Mako, while a female bounty hunter can romance Torian Kadera. The Imperial Bounty Hunter class storyline was written by Randy Begel and with Grey Deleuze providing the female hunter's voice, and Tom Spackman doing the male hunter's voice. Character Profile Meteor, the Republic Trooper class. The Republic Trooper is the primary range, damage, and tank unit for the Republic and is probably the easiest of all characters to imagine. If you've seen a clone trooper, you've seen the Republic Trooper class. Now, granted, they look different under the armor, but with a helmet on, you get the idea. Unlike some of the other class characters who do their own thing during the class story, the class stories, the trooper is involved in three of the big events from 3643. During their adventures, the trooper gains a core of loyal companions. M14X, a highly advanced, unique military droid with a massive price tag. Alara Dorn, the last scion of a powerful family within the Sith Empire who defected to the Republic, Eric Jorgen, a Cathar soldier for the Republic, Tanovic, a Weequay who provides muscle, and Yoon, a Gand engineer and tech whiz. As a youth, the trooper entered, entered military academy and graduated as valedictorian with the rank of sergeant. They served briefly in the Outer Rim before being transferred into the Republic's elite Special Forces unit, Havoc Squad a small special forces team consisting of five to six members. In early 3643, the trooper arrived on Orb Mantell to meet their new comrades and help end the Separatist crisis there. Havoc Squad was led by Lieutenant Heron Tavis, who we met last episode fighting alongside and flirting with Satel Sean. The trooper easily integrated into Havoc Squad and completed a few missions to help quell the Ord Mantellian Separatists, earning a promotion to Sergeant. However, things were amiss in Havoc Squad as every member was disillusioned with the hypocrisy of the Republic and the ongoing Cold War. Regardless, Havoc Squad was able to defeat their enemies 
ending the Separatist War on Ormantel in favor of the Republic. The trooper was then sent on a mission to locate and secure a powerful weapon because Lieutenant Tavis didn't trust the trooper, believing them to be too loyal to the Republic. With the Mendelssohn trooper out of the way, Lieutenant Tavis led the other five original Havoc Squad members, Gearbox, Wraith, Fuse, Needles, and Cardan, to defect to the Sith Empire. During their mission, the trooper discovered evidence that the Sith were backing the Separatists and returned to base only to find everyone in Havoc Squad had committed treason. The only person who aided the trooper was a Republic infantry member named Arik Jorgan. Havoc Squad escaped the firefight and their defection was soon dubbed the Spec Force Incident, becoming a major embarrassment to the Republic. Because of their loyalty, the trooper was promoted to the rank of lieutenant, given the call sign Meteor, and given command of Havoc Squad. Meteor was instructed to rebuild Havoc Squad and capture their treasonous former comrades. Meteor began these efforts but ran into bureaucratic stonewalling when they testified before a Senate committee regarding the defection. Yes, you do participate in an in-game Senate committee hearing. During the process, we find out that the Senate and Republic military left Havoc Squad out to dry a few times to preserve the Treaty of Coruscant after bad intel or supplies left them to fight against a larger enemy force. So, even though you still have to hunt them down, there was a good reason for the defection. On Coruscant, the trooper rescued a senator who was being held hostage by a wraith, who was killed in the fight. Meteor was able to capture Cardan in the works district of Coruscant, however. On Terrace, Meteor and their companions located and killed Needles before tracking Lieutenant Tavis's ship. Tavis was nowhere to be found, but the trooper fought and defeated the Imperial counterpart to Havoc Squad. On Tatooine, the trooper captured Fuse, but was forced to kill Gearbox on Alderaan after he developed a prototype tank that would tip the balance of power in the Alderaanian Civil War to the Sith-backed houses. The tank was destroyed, and the Civil War would continue in a stalemate for another decade. Finally, in late 3643, the Force incident came to a close aboard Tavis's new flagship, the Justice. Meteor and Tavis engaged in a heated firefight and war of words, with the Republic trooper finally getting the upper hand by wounding Tavis. The former lieutenant surrendered and was taken into custody. Given the circumstances that precipitated Havoc Squad's defection and that it was caused by corruption and greed in the Senate and Republic, the surviving defectors were pardoned. With their mission successful, Meteor was assigned to travel to Tatooine and then Hoth to stop the Sith from obtaining a prototype superweapon called the Gauntlet in early 3642. The Gauntlet showed up last episode with the Sunraiser in Operation Endgame and was a lightspeed cannon capable of hitting ships in hyperspace. Meteor and the New Havoc Squad led other Republic soldiers to assault the Sith, destroying the Gauntlet and stopping another superweapon from being used. Combined with the other events of 3643, the Republic assault on the Gauntlet was the final nail in the coffin of the Cold War. Mere days later, the Galactic War would be declared, forcing Meteor and Havoc Squad to take up arms once again. A female trooper can romance Eric Jorgen, while a male trooper can romance Alara Dorn. 
The Republic Trooper storyline was written by Charles Boyd with Brian Bloom doing the male trooper's voice work and Jennifer Hale providing the voice of the female trooper. Character profile, Empire's Wrath. This is the Sith warrior class. The Sith counterpart to the Jedi Knight, the Sith warrior is a being of pure rage and power who specializes in powerful lightsaber attacks and brute strength. Much of the character is modeled on Darth Vader, a cold, uncaring Sith cutting down hapless victims at will. Along the way, the Sith warrior gets five companions, a Tals named Brunmark, an Imperial officer named Malavai Quinn, a Twi'lek assassin called Vet, a Sith Black Ops soldier called Pierce, and an ex-Jedi turned Sith apprentice named Jaso Wilson. The Sith warrior can move into one of two prestige classes that focus on single lightsaber defensive tanking or damage dealing with two lightsabers. Nothing is known of the Sith warrior before they arrive on Korriban in 3643 to begin their training at the Sith Academy. Their strength in the Force was immediately noted, and after undertaking a few missions, the Sith warrior was made the Sith apprentice to Darth Baras. Baras was a high-ranking Sith Lord who always wore metallic armor, including a helmet. While becoming Baras' apprentice had plenty of benefits, it also meant having to deal with Baras' rivals for power in the complicated and deadly game of Sith power politics. It will also mean the warrior gets to tear down the Treaty of Coruscant, something many within the Empire, including Baras, hated. At first, the Sith warrior chased Jedi Master Noman Kar, an old nemesis of Darth Baras, Carr was also training a Jedi Padawan named Jaso Wilson, who possessed a rare force ability to discern if a person was telling the truth just by listening to them talk. The warrior tracked Carr from Balmora to Nar Shaddaa, slaughtering and torturing anyone with information or who was simply in their way. On Tatooine, the future Empire's wrath killed a Jedi Master with a close personal connection to Padawan Wilson, in order to draw her out. On Alderaan, the warrior was directly involved with the ongoing planetary civil war, assisting House Thule and other Sith allies to successfully assault and secure a stronghold for House Organa. Padawan Wilson's parents were in the Organa compound and were killed by the warrior in the fighting. Jaysa felt the deaths of so many loved ones through the Force and vowed to duel the warrior. Darth Barris was finally able to antagonize Master Carr, who agreed to a duel on Nalhutta. However, Barris sent the Sith warrior in his place because Barris prefers to engage in political intrigues than actually fight. Carr was losing his edge and already moving away from the light, but the Sith warrior was able to successfully defeat the Jedi Master and turn him to the dark side. At this crucial juncture, Padawan Wilsam arrived and engaged the Sith warrior in a duel. Wilsam was easily defeated after losing control of her emotions and becoming unbalanced. The Sith warrior used that time to torture Wilsam with force lightning until she eventually turned to the dark side and became the warrior's Sith apprentice. For these actions, the Sith warrior was promoted to the rank of Sith Lord, still working under Darth Barriss. By then, it was early 3642, and the Sith warrior was sent on a mission to pl- called Plan Zero, which was developed by Barriss' Sith Master and Dark C- Council member Darth Vingen. 
Plan Zero was simple. You take out high-ranking Republic military commanders before instigating hostilities against Republic targets until a war is started. The Sith warrior assassinated a Republic general on Nar Shaddaa and wiped out a group of high-ranking military strategists known as the War Trust on Terrace. Both of these actions were huge blows to future Republic war efforts, eliminating some of the Republic's best martial minds. On Kesh, the warrior killed Admiral Monk, who turned out to be a double agent working for Darth Barriss covertly. Finally, just days before the Galactic War started, the Sith warrior located Jedi Master Zerinder on Hoth. With war now an inevitability, Darth Barriss declared Plan Zero a success and then set in motion his plans to remove his master, master Darth Vingian, who had become persona non grata among the Dark Council members. On Dromacos in early 3642, the Sith warrior carried out Barriss's order perfectly, confronting and dueling Vingian. The Sith Warrior's brute strength and lightsaber skills proved too much for Darth Vingen, who died, but implored the Sith Warrior to take revenge on Barriss one day. Darth Barriss was elevated to the Dark Council in place of Ergen, and the Sith Warrior's fame and prowess within the Sith Empire grew as well. All the while, the Sith Empire bided their time, waiting for the moment to strike against their master. We won't get to the point where the Sith Warriors granted their title because it won't happen until after the Galactic War begins. The Sith Warrior can't get the title until the Lord Scourge defects to join the Hero of Tython's cause. It should also be noted that the Sith Warrior is originally granted the title of Emperor's Wrath in late 3642, retaining that title until the Emperor's Resurrection in late 3638. The Dark Council then changes the title to Empire's Wrath because the Emperor betrayed the Sith. Since Empire's Wrath is the last title held, that's what they are commonly known as, but we wanted to note the title change so maybe it's a little less confusing in the future. A female Sith warrior can romance Malavai Quinn, while a male Sith warrior can romance either Vet or Jason Wilson if they fully commit to the dark side. Again, with romancing apprentices, what is, what is it with these Force users? The Sith Warrior's class story was written by Neil Polner with Mark... Bazelli and Natasha Little providing the voices of the male and the Sith warriors, respectively. Character Profile, the Hero of Tython, Jedi Knight Class The Jedi Knight storyline is the last of the game's four Force-using classes that we will cover. The Jedi Knight class focuses more on lightsaber combat than Force powers, and can choose from the Jedi Guardian and Jedi Sentinel Prestige classes. As with the other classes, the Jedi Knight receives a personal starship for their adventuring game's five companions. A droid named T-701, Jedi Padawan Kira Carson, uh, Dr. Kimball, Republic Sergeant Fettleton Rusk, and Sith Lord Scourge. Though the hero story begins in 3643 on the recently rediscovered Jedi homeworld of Tython, their first appearance came 307 years earlier when Scourge received a force vision of the knight, call, of the knight killing the Sith Emperor. Scourge was given the gift of immortality by the Emperor and would spend that time searching the galaxy for the Jedi in his vision. The hero was born about 18 to 20 years before 3643 and came to the Jedi Order at a young age, training under many masters. 
They travel to Tython as a Padawan, hoping to prove themselves ready to become a full-fledged Jedi Knight. The future hero of Tython impressed Jedi Master Urgus Din while defeating a dark Jedi who was causing trouble in the wilds of Tython. Din took the individual on as a Padawan, and the two set out doing typical early game RPG mission stuff. Getting used to the controls, killing things, fetch quests, etc. While completing missions on Tython, the young Jedi became embroiled in the Flesh Raider Uprisings, a series of skirmishes led by Dark Jedi attempting to destroy the Jedi Order. The full extent is way beyond our scope, but for the time being, just know that Flesh Raiders are semi-sentient, are a semi-sentient warrior caste of the ancient Rakatans left on Tython by their masters more than 22,000 years ago. The future hero built upon the Barsenthor's investigation to successfully end the threat and save a Twi'lek village from destruction. For their part, the future hero is granted the rank of Jedi Knight and sent to Coruscant by way of Carrick Station, a space station named after our old friend Zane Carrick. From here, the Jedi Knight story proceeds along the same lines as Darth Angle's Desolator Crisis, which we discussed last week. Republic Superweapon Initiative was compromised by Tarnas, a Sith Lord and the son of Darth Angral. In trying to stop Tarnas sending sensitive data, the Jedi Knight and Kira Carson killed the Sith during a duel with Tarnas before a hologram of his father. Watching his son's death broke Angral and he declared a personal war against the Jedi, sending out three apprentices to three worlds to take and use the Republic Superweapons. The knight and a companion chased the apprentices across Alderaan, Ord Mantel, Tatooine, Taras, and more. Two of the apprentices were killed, but one of them, Provin, a pure-blood Sith, was redeemed and joined the Jedi. However, it was also revealed that Kira was one of the children of the Emperor after the Sith Emperor possessed the young Jedi Padawan. The Jedi Knight agreed to continue working with Kira despite her being a child of the Emperor. With his apprentices all defeated, Darth Angral took some small revenge on the Jedi Knight by killing their former master, Orgus Din. Angral also assembled the Desolator superweapon from three other weapons and f- successfully tested it by annihilating the planet Euphrates. Finally, in late 3643, Angral brought the weapon to Tython on his flagship, the Oppressor. Tython was blockaded by one of the Devastator's fe- features, while the weapon's main mechanism recharged. The Jedi Knight and Padawan Kira Carson used this time to infiltrate the Oppressor, where the Jedi duel killed Darth Angral in a duel. However, the Emperor possessed Carson again and dueled the Knight. But Carson's will was too strong, and with the Knight's aid, she used the light side of the Force to expel the Emperor's presence from her body and mind for good. The duo escaped the Oppressor before it exploded, freeing Tython from the threat of orbital devastation. For their efforts in saving the Jedi homeworld, the Jedi Knight was given the title the Hero of Tython. Kira Carson, meanwhile, was promoted to knighthood for her part in ending the Desolator Crisis and permanently expelling the Emperor's presence from her mind. As 3642 dawned, the Hero of Tython continued traveling the galaxy with their companions, but that would all change with the beginning of the Galactic War. Along the way, the Hero became close with all their companions and could romance either Kira Carson as a male hero or Dr. Kimball as a female hero. 
Again, a Jedi Master romancing their apprentice seems wildly problematic, but we digress. The Jedi Knight storyline was written by Hall Hood and Drew Carpissian, with Carrie Walgren voicing the female knight and David Hayter voicing the male knight. Lastly, Daniel Erickson was the lead writer who edited over all the class characters, who edited and helped write all of their stories. With that, we've covered all eight class characters, bringing each of them through the chaotic year of 3643 to 3642, mere days before the Galactic War begins. Don't worry, we will catch back up with Cypher 9, Voidhound, Darth Nox, the Barsenthor, the Hunter, Meteor, Empire's Wrath, and the Hero of Tython next episode when we resume the larger timeline narrative. And thank you for listening to this episode of A People's History of the Old Republic. Next time, we will finally start SWOTOR's main story, five episodes into the series on SWOTOR. You can follow us on Twitter at, at FOTORPod or email us at FOTORPodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions and comments, and we will answer them on the show. I'm at AtherTinKD on Twitter. And I'm at LucasAmazing on Twitter. Thank you again, and may the Force be with you.